1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be as we continue in our study of the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be picking up in verse 8 today, and we're going to be making our way through verse 17 as we study today in the text. And if you are taking notes today, the title for this message is Unity and Suffering. Unity and Suffering, exactly what you wanted to hear as you came to church this morning, I know. But that is the topic we see, and so that's what we're going to be covering as we move through the text today. And we know by now that First Peter, as well as Second Peter, they were both written by the Apostle Peter, the Apostle that we know followed Jesus through the Gospels and that we see predominantly through the New Testament. And he wrote to an audience that was made up of the church that was scattered and persecuted in his day. And the theme that we have found within First Peter is that of being steadfast in Christ, steadfast in Christ, living a life of suffering, because that is something this life involves, living a life of suffering with hope. And it is this theme of being steadfast in Christ and really living a life of suffering with, in hope that shines through as we continue in our study of the book today and really on through the rest of the book. Having established, you'll remember if you were with us, the call to conduct oneself in holiness, living a life that is holy as the Lord is holy and living a life of submission before the Lord. Peter has been hitting on that topic over the past few weeks. And Peter, as we study today, understand it's no longer on the topic of submission that he writes, but he's going to make a shift to where by the end of the day, again, it's not submission that he speaks of, but it is suffering that the reader is going to be made aware of. Suffering that a believer is going to face in this world, and as well, the preparedness that the believer needs to have in their heart and mind and ready within their life that they need to endure it and walk through it. And that is exactly what we're going to see today, P Peter begin to hone in on, and again, what he's going to continue to speak on as we move through the rest of this book and on into Second Peter as well. But before Peter dives into, again, this honest call and this preparing word for suffering that the believer is going to walk through in this world, he does something amazing for us, where he makes this transitional thought as he teaches, and it not only transitions into the reality of suffering and what we need to do for it, but also it, it ties up the call to submit and the call to walk with the Lord and conduct oneself in this world by calling the church to walk in unity with one another. And we're going to see this transition and this moving into this new subject as we move through the text. I pray that's what we see today, and I pray that's what we learn as we move through it. And so to do that, let's go ahead and jump in together now to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 and 9 together. We're going to pray then one more time, and then we'll keep on going. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Peter says, "'Finally, all of you be of one mind.'" having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this day. God, so much for this day, and Lord, the opportunity that we have today, the invitation from you, and the freedom, God, that we have in you. Lord, we thank you for freedom today to meet here, to worship here, to dwell here, God, without fear, Lord, and to know that you are here with us, and you, God, give us ultimate freedom. We thank you so much for that. And we thank you that, Lord, you invite us into a time of worshiping and drawing near to you, knowing that you are there to meet us, and here to teach us, God, exactly what your word has to say. 
And so I pray that, Lord, our hearts and minds would be open to you today and open to your word and to what you have to say to us, knowing that, God, you have something to say to all of us and that you want to lead us, you want to guide us, Lord, in your word, that we may know what your word says and as well, we may know how to apply it. And so, God, I ask for your help today. I ask that you would help all of us to understand your word. And I ask for that expectantly, knowing that you desire to lead us and guide us in this life, that we may show you to the world around us. And Lord, I just love you. And I thank you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, we're coming off of the call, again, to holy conduct to walking as those sojourners and pilgrims, those in this world that belong ultimately not to this world, but to heaven. And we are living a life that is, that is one of submission, submitting to the Lord, to his way, to his will, and to his word. And as Peter today is going to speak to the whole church and seek to end the section by addressing the whole church, well, he does so to make sure that the whole church realizes that as we walk in this world in holiness, as we seek to walk as sojourners and pilgrims, as we seek to walk in the will and submitted to the will of the Lord, well, that is something that the whole of the church is called to do in a unified state. The first thing that Peter does today, if you're taking notes, is he calls the reader, he calls the church to unity, and he makes this call to unity for the whole of his readers, and that is evident within the, the opening part of our text today as he opens up with the transitional statement and then saying again, finally, all of you, he says, be of one mind. Now, admittedly, as he calls here all to one mind, this is a challenging thing that Peter's calling the church to. Is that as he calls the church here, understand he calls the church to one mind. And that's a challenging thing because understand, as we've discussed before, the church, well, it's made up of a bunch of individuals, right? Like we've discussed plenty of times how the church, it's not the building that we sit in, it's the people inside the building. We are the church that are here in this facility. And as such, we look in this room and we look, in the room and we look at the world around us, the church around us, and what we see within the church is a whole lot of individuals that build up a whole. A whole lot of individualism is represented, again, just here in this room right now. Which is both a, a good thing when it comes to the church and the unity of the church, but also a, a challenging thing when the call to unity is what we are navigating. You see, it's good in that the church is represented in a bunch of individuals because that represents really the creativity and the ability, the power of God. You see, it's an amazing thing to look around the room and to look at this world and to see that God created all of us and he created each one of us individually. Each, each one of us with a personality that is specific to us, each one of us with a will that is specific to us that we can walk in and live and make decisions for the Lord. He shows such creativity in creating all of us in the way that he did. And also too, he shows great power within the church with his ability to save all of us. As the Lord calls each one of us to himself to make the decision to take the finished work of Christ upon our lives. The church represents the creativity of God and the power, the ability of God to save and to move. It's an amazing thing to see all that the church is. But it's also, when you think about unity within the church, it is a challenging thing because we are all individuals and we all are individualistic in nature and that can make being unified hard at times. Especially when you think of the reality that we're all individuals and each of us have, again, a free will that is also coupled with our sin nature. A sin nature that desires to build up the individual and to please the individual, even that above others. 
Sometimes being of one mind, even with those in the same room, even with those within the same row as you at church, sometimes being of the same mind, being unified, well, that can be hard even on the easiest of days. Which is why it's so important for us to understand that Peter, as he calls here to unity, he's not calling us just to be of one mind generally. But understand, he is calling the church to align itself with one mind specifically. A mind that is personal and exemplary to the church. That is the mind of Jesus Christ. So you understand that as, as Peter is calling the church to unity, the mind that Peter is calling the church to be unified under and to adopt, well, it's the mind of Christ, which should make all sense to us. It should make sense that the call to be unified as the church and to be of one mind, that that would be all be surrounding the mind and the person of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, well, he's over the church. He is in charge of the church. He's in charge of this church body. I've said it before and I'll say it forever that this is not my church. This is not your church. This is the Lord's church. Jesus here is the leader. He's the chief shepherd. He's the senior pastor. He's who we follow. He is the one who is in charge of the church at large and locally. And so we, as we seek to be of one mind as the church, well, it would make sense that we would seek his mind, that we would seek the mind that is preeminent over the church. You know, that's something that the apostle Paul speaks of as he's writing to the church at Colossae. There in Colossians chapter 2, verses 15 through 18, as Paul is building up and seeking to prove the deity and the preeminence of Christ, well, he writes this starting there in verse 15. As he says of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were made that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, he says all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist. And verse 18 is so key here. As he says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You see, it makes sense that if we're walking as members of the church, and are called to be of one mind, unified together within the church, well, the mind of the one that is preeminent over the church, well, that should be the mind that we seek. Which again is challenging, because again, we are individuals. We are individuals with a sin nature who are in this, who are in this world, living and walking with a free will. And that free will, understand, it, it seeks to make decisions, at times sinful decisions, However, we are called as believers, we are called yet, this brings up again the subject of submission, we are called to submit yet again to the Lord and to his will, to his way and to his word as being that which we seek as the truth and that how we pattern our lives. That is what we submit to. And so again, seeking to be unified together, walking together in this world and the call being of being one mind, that mind of Christ, well, that calls us again to submission to the Lord's to submit to the Lord's mind, not my mind, not your own mind, to not submit and be of one mind of some celebrity pastor or some author that you're into right now or someone else that you admire in this world. But the call of the whole church is to submit their mind and will to the mind and the will of Christ to allow him, who is the head of the church, to actually have preeminence within the church. That, that is the call. And understand, it's the mind of Christ that we are called to be unified in today. 
That's the call for us today sitting in this room. It's the mind of Christ that we're called to adopt and submit to as we walk together in this world. And that means, again, that that it's not my mind that we align ourselves with or your mind that we adopt that unifies us. And I'm quite thankful for that, if I'm very honest. I'm very thankful. I don't want you to be unified under the mind of Justin Golden any more than Justin Golden wants to be unified under your mind today. That's not to say your mind isn't amazing. There are many smart people in this room. But I want the mind of Christ to be that which I'm unified with you guys in and under. I want the mind of Christ to be that which we are seeking as Calvary Chapel Paris, as a local church body. We should be unified, not under the mind of a man, but under the mind of the Lord. And I pray that would be what we want and what we desire, and that with that desire would, become act- would come action. That as we would see the need to be unified under and in the mind of Christ, that that desire would produce action. Meaning that as we want to be unified and seek the mind of Christ, that we would truly seek the mind of Christ and seek to learn the mind of Christ. And to do that, there are some practical things that need to happen. Namely, that we need to spend time with Jesus. That we need to spend time with Him. Most namely and notably in His Word. That's an easy one for us to notice. And I'm going to say it forever. We need to be in the Word of God daily reading our Bibles. Not just on Sundays. Not just on Wednesdays or whenever you darken the door of a church. But every single day we're called to be in the Word of God knowing that that is the mind of the Lord shown to us. That we see the Lord, His character, His nature revealed to us every time we open the Word of God. We see that. We must spend time in it as well as in conversation with the Lord in prayer. Reading our Bible and praying every single day, it sounds so elementary, but it is something that we are called to. And without doing so, we won't learn the mind of Jesus. We won't be unified under the mind of Christ because we don't know the mind of Christ. And not just to read and to pray, but then to to do something with that, right? Like as we read, as we pray, James calls us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. You know, it does us no good to read and to pray every single day if we're not going to let it affect the way that we live, affect the way that it leads our life and draws us into new life with Jesus, leading us in sanctification out of old life, out of sin, and further in with Him. All of that, as we do so, we learn the mind of Christ. We seek to learn Him and see Him. We do so as well, not just as individuals, but in community as well. What we're doing here right now is you came to church today. Praise the Lord, on a holiday weekend, you came to 11 o'clock service. You did it. Good job. You're here. And that is good because in doing so, we learn the mind of Christ. In doing so, we learn more of what Christ calls us to be, a body that is unified together, learning and growing together and serving together as well. That's another way that we learn the mind of Christ. We learn the mind of Christ by serving together, not just consuming within the church, but serving as the church and being an active member and part of the church. You see, it's through all of this, our living with Christ and spending time with Him, that we learn the mind of Christ that Peter here is calling us to be united in and under. It's the mind of Christ that we are called to have, the mind of Christ, and it's only with time spent with Jesus that we will learn to exhibit the mind of Christ and learn to walk in that mind. And to walk in the characteristics that that Peter goes on to list here, as he calls to unity, well, notice that he shares some characteristics of the unity as he continues on in verse 8. What does he say there? Having compassion for one another, of loving his brothers, of being tenderhearted, of being courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, he says, blessing, knowing you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. 
You see, again, Peter, having spent time with Jesus, he observed and walked and learned him and listened to his words the same way we are called to. And as such, he saw what Jesus exhibited. He saw how Jesus lived in the face of a world that was against him. He saw how Jesus lived in, a fa- in the face of a world that persecuted him and his people, that continues to persecute him and his people. But yet he sees there that the mind of Christ was not one that acted out in the flesh, that acted out as we would reactionarily, seeking to return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but no, showed compassion, showed love and tenderheartedness and courtesy, all, all still with truth, all still sharing truth and sharing that all for the sake of being a blessing and showing that the blessing of the Lord follows a life that is committed to him. We see that Jesus speaks, or that Jesus shows us, and Peter here speaks of what Jesus exemplifies for us. The mind of Christ is that which we are supposed to have, what we are to live and exhibit as we walk. And as we exhibit these same characteristics with one another and towards one another, of unity toward one another in the world around us, we'll understand that what Peter here says about being a blessing and receiving blessing, well, that is for us. That's absolutely true for us, but that will not happen, understands unless we see the call to be united in the mind and with the mind of Christ, with one another. And that's a decision that we see that affects the whole, but but has to be made individually. Like you and I, we have to decide as we walk with the Lord and seek to walk in relationship with Him, whether or not we are going to learn Him, be in His Word, talk to Him, walk with Him, obey Him serve him and serve one another. We have to make that decision individually, but understand that that individual choice, well, it affects the whole, doesn't it? That as the body of Christ is dwelt together, we are called to dwell together. And and each part, that's why it's referenced as a body, each part doing its part, well, that affects the whole. And if one part's failing, the body hurts. If one part is not walking, if one part seeks to be disjointed, not unified, well, the whole hurts. And we are called, friends, to unity in Jesus. We are called, friends, to walk with the Lord and to walk with one another, serving Him and serving one another as the Word of God calls us, each part doing the whole, united in this world. And that is a call for each of us today. And and, and Peter, I, I love it, what he does as he continues to use the Bible to write the Bible, as he, there in verses 10 through 12, he moves on and continues and he establishes the point that he just made using an excerpt from Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. And he writes here so as to establish the mindset that he's calling the church to, each individual so as to commit and affect the whole. Pick with me in verse 10. As he says, for he who would love life and see good days well, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. See, Peter here is writing and he's seeking to concrete the statement he's already made. That a life lived with the Lord has to be one that is seeking after the Lord. Who, who is he that would love life and see good days? Well, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him walk in the same way that Jesus has. Let him walk in a way that doesn't see evil as that which needs to be returned with evil or reviling for reviling, but let him see it as that which needs to be returned looking to the Lord and going the Lord's way. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it just like Jesus did. 
Just like Jesus, as he walked in this world and was opposed at every single way, he never returned evil for evil. He never reviled in the face of reviling. No, he walked forward, obedient to the Lord and to his word. And he says there, encouraging, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Speaking there of the, of the contrast between one who is following and seeking the mind of Christ, how the Lord is going to encourage that and move with that and show that, and those who seek to do evils, those who seek to continue in the flesh, well, oh, that's not what the Lord is for. That's what I, not what he is about. And so Peter here, he calls to unity. He calls the church to have one mind, and that mind being the mind of Christ that they are called to walk in, that we today, friends, are called to walk in, called to seek, and to walk forward in today. And that is a choice that is presented to each one of us, a choice that I pray you will make in the same way that I have to make that choice that we all as believers have to make that choice and understand that the choice individually, well, it affects the whole. It affects every single one of us as we seek to follow the Lord. And it's with this use of Psalm 34, continuing on now in the thread of thought, that Peter both ties up the call to unity and as well submission, because submitting to the mind of the Lord and walking in that way, it requires submission. And Peter seeks to tie up that section but he also uses Psalm 34 here at the same time and, and transitions into the next subject of his writing, calling the unified believers to now be prepared for suffering. And what we're going to do is back up to verse 10 again, and we're going to read what we just read, but we're going to keep going then on to the end of our text for today and see how this all fits together. Verse 10 again says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then in verse 13, he says, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ, they may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter calls now, after, after calling to unity, he now seeks to prepare for suffering. And he makes this perfect transition here. I love it. The transition of thought is absolutely perfect. As Peter says there, back in verse 12, saying, For the eyes of the Lord, they are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's there reverencing again Psalm 34. And having said that, Peter then asked this rhetorical question to the reader. Notice he says, And who is he? Again, speaking of the evil one. Speaking of the one that the Lord is against, he says, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Peter here makes this switch perfectly. The transition is flawless. He makes the switch of topics perfectly with the encouragement of the Lord, being with the believer, listening to the believer, walking with the believer, leading the believer, while at the same time being against the one who would do evil and then calling the believer to wonder why they should be afraid in the face of an evil world. Why they should be afraid of the evil one that the Lord, that he says in his word, is against. 
And I love what Peter does here because what Peter does is he speaks this and he speaks it in a way that you have to know is confident. And it's confident because Peter, as he walked with Jesus, well, he would have heard this very thing from Jesus's mouth. You know, as Peter writes this, he would have heard this type of teaching and this came to mind of what Jesus would say in Matthew 10, verse 28. As Jesus says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. You see, Peter writes this, and there is, understand as he writes this, no fear that the believer has to live in ultimately from this world, because the worst thing that this world can do is again, kill the body. That's what Jesus said. That's what Peter is getting at, which I understand sounds terrible, but put that up against a life of going with the flow of the worlds, of living in line with the world, this evil world that we live in, this fallen world that we live in, this world that is ever against the Lord. Put that up against the type of life that you could live to escape the fear of this world or the fear in this life. Well, Jesus says that we should fear far more. It's, it's, a lot more. it's a lot weightier thing in my mind. You can decide for yourself which is the weightier one. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with Jesus. For me, I'm going to go with Jesus who says, don't fear the one that can just kill the body, but fear, fear the one that can throw body and soul both into hell. See, Peter here, aligned with the mind of Christ, he asks the reader, who should you fear? Who should you fear even if there is suffering for righteousness sake? Peter says, hey, there's no fear that you should have. You should, you should realize you're blessed, that there's blessing as you walk with the Lord. And as he transitions this thought, he goes on not to, again, share that it's fear that we should have, but instead of continuing to speak of fear, what he does is he shares that the believers should not be fearful, but that they should be ready. In fact, they should always be ready, he says. You see, with another transitional statement there in play, and again, he references scripture, Peter quotes Isaiah 8, 12, saying, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. And then he launches into what the believer should actually be in the face of suffering. And he says they should always be ready. They should sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. To sanctify means to set apart. And to sanctify the Lord in our hearts means to give the Lord priority, to set him up as the ultimate, as what we focus on. He says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, Peter here in preparing the believer for suffering, he exhorts not to fear, but to readiness. A readiness to give a defense for the hope that is within them. And this verse, I, I, I love this verse. And this verse has been used throughout much of the church of the church's life to focus on something called apologetics, that, that, that principle, that action of defending one's faith. And I agree that this verse works well with that topic. But understand that contextually, that this is not what Peter is calling to, to have a ready argument for every wind of doctrine that may come your way. But rather, Peter here is telling the believer then and now, that in the face of suffering, in the face of persecution, that facing the evil and the wrongs of this world, when someone who is a believer is faced with that, that that believer is ready with compassion with love, with tenderheartedness, with courtesy, not reviling or returning evil for evil, but someone, believer or unbeliever, sees the behavior of the Christian and the Christian is ready. The Christian is ready to give a reason for their hope and to not fear and to not fight. Peter here calls the believer to readiness. 
calls them to a life of readiness, to always be ready, to share why they are hopeful in the face of suffering, why they are hopeful in the face of a hard world, a world that is ever growing harder and is only going to continue to grow harder. And I love what Peter does here because what Peter shows here is great honesty. Great honesty that I'm sure in his day, because it's the same in our day, great honesty that was found far too less than it should within the church. As he shares honestly of the reality that as a believer in Jesus Christ, as, a, as one who follows the Lord in this world, that the world around you doesn't just all of a sudden get easier. In fact, oftentimes it gets harder. That in following the Lord and walking with Jesus, it's not all of a sudden as if you accept Christ and this magic bubble just comes around you. And all of a sudden you're healthy and you're wealthy and everything goes right and no one, no one can touch you. That's not the case at all. That's not the case for any of our Bible heroes, and it's not the case for us living here in this world as well. And Peter is honest about the need to be prepared for suffering in this world, to be prepared for this world to not go our way and to never go the Lord's way. You see, suffering is brought on in this world because this world has fallen, and we live in this world. We are blessed in Jesus. We are to seek the mind of Christ, but that doesn't excuse us from the suffering. And Peter here says, you're not exempt from it, so prepare for it. Prepare for the suffering. And Peter is upfront. He is honest. And I love that because we need to be honest as well. We need to, and by we, I, I mean the church at large, needs to be honest that in this world, there is suffering to be had for following the Lord. Suffering for following the Lord is something that we need to realize is real. That some in this world, brothers and sisters that we have in this world, in different parts of this world, realize it's real in a, in a way that many of us have never imagined. That realize it's real in ways that would cause, you know, the fear that, that Peter is, is speaking against, that Jesus speaks against in Matthew 10, 28, fear of the body being killed. There are those that realize that fear day in and day out. That is a reality that we need to understand is real. It is absolutely real. And though that is not our experience here in this world and in our context here in our culture, well, that doesn't excuse us from the preparedness that we're still called to. Because understand, we still suffer as Christians. There are still hardnesses because of the fallen world that we live in, hardnesses that we face within this world and within our culture that's going ever against the Lord's. And as well, we need to understand that we need to be prepared, not in the day of trial, they're waiting, waiting for that day to start preparing, to, but to start preparing now. To realize that this call to always be ready, this call to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, that call is for today. That call is not for in the moment when everything hits the wall. That call is not for in the moment when all of a sudden, you know, things change. No, we need to today decide that, hey, we are going to set the Lord God apart in our minds, sanctify him and make ourselves ready to give a defense, to give a reason for the hope that lives within us. That is a choice made today. And a choice that I pray we all would make. Realizing that that choice, it's not a suggestion, but it's a call. And that preparedness that we are called to, well, that's something that we as the church need to be about. Again, individually, this is a choice that affects the whole. You know, you and I need to decide as individuals following the Lord, if we're going to continue to grow and seek the mind of Christ, and as well, if we're going to prepare for the suffering that this world can and will bring as a result of that. To realize that we need to think hard about the way our life is lived and see if Jesus is the ultimate. 
If his mind and seeking his mind is what we are about, and if that's what we're going to be about when the heat is turned up. Again, we reference people that are, are, are spoke about people that are, that are experiencing, you know, vastly different waves of pressure and persecution than we are. But it is up to us today to decide that if our freedoms and our rights that we appreciate as the American church, if those went away today, that nothing with us in the Lord would change. And that's not something you decide in the moment. That's something you decide today. That's something you decide in this moment, that if your life is turned upside down and looks vastly different than when you woke up this morning, that you and God, that you're still good. That you and God are still good and that you realize that God is still with you and still wants to lead you into and with the mind of Christ. That's a decision all of us have to make. A decision all of us have to make that we are called by the word of God to make today in every single day that we wake up. Because every single day that we wake up is a choice presented to us on how we will walk and how we will live. And again, the word of God calls us to walk with the mind of Christ, united with him, with his mind as the church, seeking to show him to the world around us, no matter what it looks like. And the Bible is so good in that it's honest with us. Again, honest with us that this life is hard and it's hard even with Jesus. There are some that would like to lie and say that that's not the case. I'm not going to lie to you. No one should lie to you about that. The Bible doesn't lie to us about that. And so we shouldn't seek to walk in that way. We should seek to do what the Bible calls us to, to be united together with the mind of Christ today, to choose that today. And in choosing that, understand that, that, that as we are called to that and called to choose that, that we make a decision that the Lord is there to meet us in. And I hope you realize that today too. The Bible is honest about how the, in this world, as it's fallen and it's hard, there is suffering. But also too, the Bible is honest with us, praise the Lord for this, that God is with us all throughout it. That God is absolutely with us. I mean, that's what Peter just got done saying. Again, he spoke there in verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Like as we walk in this world and seek the mind of Christ and seek to walk with him and dwell with him and serve him, hey, the Lord is right there with us. The Lord hears us and he directs us no matter what we're going through, no matter what we face. As we're seeking him, we can know that he is there to meet us. He is there to lead us every step of the way. But we have to seek him. But we have to make the decision to seek him. We have to make the decision as we are called to unity, as we are called to preparation to walk in this world, what Peter's going to continue to speak on throughout the rest of this book, that we have to realize that it is up to us, it is our choice on whether or not we will choose the Lord or not. And that choice, again, is made today. It's not made in the day of adversity. It's made today so that in the day of adversity, you're, you're already established and ready to walk forward. It's not made when everything crumbles in your life. It's made today so that whenever it does or whenever things happen, because we live in a fallen world and things do happen, that we're ready for that day and saying, Lord, I know you're with me. You've been with me. I'm here for it. Let's go. And I pray today that that would be the choice that we make and that we would realize that as we do so, we're blessed. And it may not seem that way all the time because our idea of blessing, our idea of walking in blessing is that our bank account is full, our family and ourselves are healthy and everything looks amazing. But we are blessed in the Lord. And what's more is, as Peter says here, we are a blessing to those around us because we're showing what it looks like. 
We're showing what it looks like to have hope and to live out that hope in the world around us, showing Jesus, who is our living hope, to everyone that we meet. And so today I pray that as we see this, and as Peter calls for preparation, calls for unity, that we would choose both of those things, knowing that God loves us, knowing that God is with us, and will be with us every step of the way. Let's pray.